Welcome to another episode of the Being Human and Doing Psychotherapy podcast, where I aim to bring out the human and the psychotherapist and the psychotherapist that is found in all of us. And today I'm joined by the wonderful uh, Nina Baikovic, who is going to talk about herself and psychotherapy through the lens of transactional analysis. So I'm very curious to hear her story tonight. Welcome, Nina. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So uh, just to start off, maybe you want to say where you are uh, mm -hmm. and just uh, something about you, um, some words, nouns, some words that describe you. Okay, well, I'm in Podgorica. I'm in my office space currently in my private practice. Um, the words that I would say, I'm thinking if it's if it's too hard just to put it in words, but I, you know, part of the words, but I'll try. Um, first off, I'll obviously, since I'm a therapist, I would say that I'm empathetic. Um, I'm very introspective. Mm -hmm. I'm um, curious, very curious, especially about the human psyche, how things works. Um, I'm always the one that asks why, why things happened a certain way. Um, I'm flexible and rigid, depending on what we're talking about. <laughs> I can be, you know, overanalyzing, sometimes controlling, to put some light on my not-so-good sides. Um, yeah, I think that sums it up. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm curious, uh, when was those when were those traits like first expressed in you? When did you notice that questioning, the why, the how? Oh, very early on. Uh, just I didn't I didn't put a connection between psychotherapy and that at the very beginning. But I, you know, as a kid, I was always I, I remember asking my mom, why are we who we are? Why, why do I feel like I am and I don't feel like you are? And I remember her looking at me like, what, what, are, you, what are you asking me? So, you know, very early on, like what everybody does, we, 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 are, we are ourselves very early on. It just takes some time to understand that. So, yeah, and in childhood, in childhood. And uh, throughout all of these things that you do, what are maybe some values and norms that you're carrying and how do you integrate them in your way of being? Mm -hmm. Being and doing. <laughs> um, well, I, I really believe that whatever we do um, or whatever decision we make, uh, whatever action has an equal and opposite reaction, I really do think that whatever we do actually casts a vote towards what what kind of life we want to have, what kind of society do we want to live in, what kind of world do we want to have for our children. Um, so uh, I kind of try to incorporate it in my everyday life uh, from very small things to the monumental and, and things that I, that I really care and cherish about. So I don't know, I, I try to, for me, it's very important to evolve. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be perfect, at least not anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to evolve, you know, to progress, 
uh, that's very important for me. So I try to incorporate that in my life with everything, you know, with introspection, with just different perspectives, different businesses, different approaches with, I don't know, with my family, with society, with my colleagues, it doesn't matter. So um, I try to be very aware of my surroundings of the world that we live in today and how, you know, society is tilted. Um, you know, just to be, for me, it's also very important to understand. So mm -hmm. I try to understand as much as I can, whether we're talking about internal processes or external processes, you know, to be generous, loyal, authentic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those are my, my norms that I try to incorporate in, in my everyday life from, I don't know, I would not let the water running in my sink, for example, for, you know, endless period of times from that little things to, to very, very important things. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, you mentioned businesses and I know you are a psychotherapist, but you, you are also someone who is very involved in business and I'm curious, how did that part of you evolve and how did you get in touch with that part? Well, I can, mm, that's kind of like a, a mini story about how I got into psychotherapy. Okay. The, the question you just, just asked me, cause it kind of, you know, continues, um, continues and, and explains. Um, I was, uh, I'm an economy major actually. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm an economy major. Uh, you know, first I, um, I was sitting in my living room. This was like, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe more. And I was looking for something to read and I couldn't find anything that was, you know, fulfilling at that time. And I went to the nearest bookstore um, and I bought a book, um, Karen Horney's Psychoanalysis, uh, where she explains, you know, the Freudian type of view and complex stuff that I'm not gonna get into. And I was reading it, you know, and while I was reading, I was looking at it, I'm like, uh, okay, here I am. And then here I am, and <laughs> here I am. So that's when, when I become very interested of psychotherapy, but I thought I'm gonna go in the direction of psychoanalysis. But um, little did I know at that time that my internal uh, processes were kind of bigger than I was at that time. So I went and started studying economy and did a, yes, I'm a management major, economy mm -hmm. major, management major, uh, which is my great passion even today, uh, just not my only focus. So uh, after that, I, uh, I won a two scholarships and I went overseas for a long time. And when I got back, I just went into business, as you said, um, and I, I, you know, worked my way up to the head of HR and that was maybe eight, nine years in the business at that time. And when I was in HR, just um, head of HR, especially, I remember people coming into my office every day and just staying there, you know, sharing things with me. And I was like, what's up with this? You know, <laughs> there is something behind this. And um, there was this consulting company uh, that we, uh, that was our partner at that time that had this annual um, conference 
that uh, they would choose like a topic for it and they would just um, ask head of different sectors to speak. And amongst many of them, they asked me uh, to come to Belgrade and have like a mini lecture or something. So I did, and they asked me to speak about emotions. And yeah, um, and um, I actually spoke about what emotions are not. I, you know, I <laughs> turned the turned the papers. So uh, after that, I had a, this major reaction towards my lecture from the people that were listening. And I remember that feeling that I had at that time, um, this is it, this is what I need to do. Because uh, I, I had that ability of just simply transferring the concepts that may seem complex, uh, just simply explaining them and making them very understandable and applicable to their own lives. So that's when I decided, okay, business, good, management, Okay, good. I like it, but not not for me. I need to, you know, move on to, to something that will fill in my soul. And that's how I got into into psychotherapy from business. From business. That's that's interesting. And so how do you bridge them today? Easily. <laughs> it helped me. It helped me a lot. You know, the knowledge that I have, even for clients, just you know, to have different perspectives, to be from from um, many different sectors that I used to work in. Uh, so it really helped me to, you know, comprehend what they're talking about and just be, be in the process with them with actual knowledge, what they're talking about. If you have, I don't know, client that is from bank or from any other sector, I can relate. Yes. So it really helped, and it helps me develop my business. Uh, you know, I, I kind of know what to do marketing wise, management wise. So I really uh, support each other each other really well okay and then uh, uh, we will go back to the psychotherapy part but i'm curious more about your personal story so um what are some events or set of circumstances uh, that you want to point out because clearly every event shapes us in every in some way but, uh, but some that you want to point out that shaped you to be who you are today Um, there are many, but um, I think the one that, that, that shaped me greatly was when I left for to be an exchange student when I was 17. I went to New York for a year. Mm. Um, yeah, I studied there for a year. Uh, and I think that, that I really gained a very different perspective because uh, going to the United States I know how long is that, 15, 17 years ago, and going to the States now, it's a very different story. Uh, back then, we didn't have, you know, now with this technological progress and everything, it's kind of, we from here know what's going on there. And at that time, that wasn't the case. Um, so it was very shocking in every sense, and, you know, cultural shock and, and, just being in a very different set of values, very different set of points that, that they have. Uh, so it really shaped me greatly in the sense of being more open-minded, um, being more tolerant towards, you know, just different, different ways of living. Um, 
resolving that that point of view of black and white you know if if we in montenegro think it that way then that's the right way um you know like i was able to resolve those things and just to be to gain a different perspective of how the world outside our borders um mm. functions and how how enriches actually your your point of view of your own life and yourself so that that was very and i mean after that i i got um soon after that i got scholarships so i went in Netherlands for a while and then in Slovakia and then I traveled in the meantime so for a long period of time I wasn't in Montenegro and that just having that um how would I say the very very um sing, let's say not in a lack of better words single life just you know going to to a different country just adapting and making your way through it it really shaped me in many ways Yeah. That's, that's one thing um but the other i would say more <laughs> more intensive things was um were actually anxiety and depression uh, that that shaped me greatly uh i was 21 at that time i was very anxious and very depressed and i usually uh when maybe two, three years apart from when that period, when I felt that way, I kind of looked back to it with the cringe, you know, but now it's a very different story. I'm very grateful for that period because when, when you don't feel comfortable getting up and you're 21, you really have something to think about. Yeah. So I really had to look, you know, deep inside and ask those questions like who you are, what are your values, what is something that you would cherish. Uh, so that, that, affected, that affected me and that affected me for life. I'm very grateful for that part. Yes, no wonder. I actually now I'm thinking about your first posts on the Instagram. And <laughs> <laughs> anxiety and depression. And they are about anxiety and depression. And I was like, this is curious. <laughs> uh, so you are talking from a truly ex- And you know, that's a level that I have. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, from experience, from experience, right. Uh, uh, you wanted to say something before, but there was a bit of a glitch. So what did you say? And you know how old was that? I don't know. I love the word. It doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't I'll matter. Back to it. I remember. It- Uh, but uh, I am actually very curious about the process of staying with these um, uh, these difficult processes and uh, and coming out of them. And actually, one of the things that you write in your posts is what you don't say to people who are going through the process of anxiety or depression. And I would want to ask, what was what was it that was helpful for you? and that helped you in this process? Well, therapy, number one, you know, you have to be dedicated. Uh, that's, a, that's a very conscious process. It's not something that just happens. You really have to be a very determined and very conscious to understand, to want to understand what's, what's going on. 
So that's number one thing. You have to be motivated. You have to have a, you have to want to get better. That, that's the one thing. Uh, and the other thing, you have to have a proper help. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Um, so fortunately, sometimes I had, sometimes I hadn't, I, uh, I, yeah, I hadn't had a proper help. But uh, my determination to just simply get better uh, was greater than all of it, than inappropriate therapist or whatever came my way that was inadequate. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the, the, the biggest effect was just determination and uh, therapy processes, you know, willing to, to put one foot before the other every day to structure your day in a sense, if, if it's unbearable for you to think 10 days in advance, then just think for that day. If it's unbearable for you to think about that day, then just think until the morning. Yeah. You go hour by hour, step by step. Um, that's the structural part of it. And the other part was support. You, it really matters that if you have support, if you have a family that understands uh, that does not pushes you, does not shames you for it, does not um, criticize you for it, especially with those uh, sentences, come on, like, just like shake it off or yeah, stuff like that. Um, and to have a friend or someone you, who you can have a cup of tea with or have a coffee with, doesn't matter. Um, thankfully, I had all those things. So, so I, I managed to, to go through it and to, with, from this distance, think about it as, as a gift because it greatly, greatly um, affects my work today yeah. in a positive sense. Yeah, and I'm curious, maybe I haven't touched this topic of using the therapist with, uh, before with anyone, but maybe it's a really important one to touch. And you said you had experience and I had experience of people that were less or more helpful. They were all impactful and important, but there was, there was, a, there was something which is really supportive. And when you, once when you feel it, it's suddenly like, wow, th this is how therapy, this is how therapy works. So maybe for people um, who are going through that process, um, how do they know if therapy works for them? Well, they feel better afterwards. <laughs> That's a number one trait. You know, there is no some complex answer to that. You just, when you step out from the therapist's office, you just feel better. Uh, but it's, that's not, that's not the only thing, you know, you, you need to make a progress. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's faster, but you need to have the feeling that you are making process that you are making, sorry, that you're making progress. Uh, so, um, but that's measurable. You know, when you have a good therapy, that's very measurable in a sense of, um, you have a relational approach with, with the client, but you do set goals, yeah. no matter how small they are. Uh, so you are able as a client to see that you are going somewhere and therapist is able to see that as well and you know um, transfer you to some other way they think 
think that that it's more more important for you or keep you on the same track or you know so number one thing i would say is you feel better and the second thing is that you need to be aware of your progress mm, mm, mm. and then but, but just just another thing uh that uh it's very important to understand that the um if therapy does not suit you therapist does not suit you that most of the time does not mean that therapist is not okay. Yes. The therapist is not, uh, that they lack um, technique or they lack knowledge or something. It just simply maybe the way they work, it just doesn't suit you. Maybe they're too directive or maybe they're not too directive. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's just very important for the client to understand that they need to find a therapist that suits them. Um, in, in every possible way. And it has to, it has to be in every possible way. That cannot be a, a thing of a compromise. It has to, it has to be whole package in order for therapy to work. Yeah. And I think that's a very important point to make. It's, it's, uh, if therapy fails, whatever yeah. that means, it's not your failure. It's just go and explore because there are many, many options. Um, yeah. And yes. that doesn't mean it's the end of the road. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, and then in terms of the things that shaped you, um, who are the person that kind of supported you or people that supported you in your growth or in your evolution? Again, not, not, one, not one person. And you don't I, need to single them out. Maybe if you want, right. to, you can say uh, how how they did what they did for um, There was this interesting thing that I did um, a couple of months ago. It was a 21 day Deepak Chopra challenge mm -hmm. where you had to do certain things that you had this uh, assignments that you have to fulfill. And uh, one of the first ones was to actually write down uh, the people who impacted you and who supported you on your way. And I think requirement was uh, 20 or 30 people, I'm not sure. And when I saw the requirement, I thought to myself, okay, this is impossible. I, there is no way I can write down 20 or 30 people. Um, I ended up writing 56, which was, which was yeah, my, my face was exactly like yours. I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, I wrote down this many people. Uh, so that was really, um, liberating for me at, at the time when I realized that actually 56 people impacted and, and shaped me the way I am today. Or, or to put it in the other way around, we shape ourselves depending on experiences that we have with, with those people. And for example, I, there was this kindergarten teacher that I really, really loved. Um, she played piano. And I remember those times when she played piano, how, 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 how much she was into the process. She would kind of like soak up the, the music that she was making. It was beautiful just to watch it. And then I realized that I finished elementary music school in a section of piano without realizing the whole time that she was the reason how I made the decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I would really not say there were like one or two people, there were many, many people. I mean, of course there's family, you know, they, they gave us the, the baseline. Um, 
I come from very intellectual family, so that part was very always very important. And um, me and my brother, we would taught the values that that I cherish today, and I will hope to you know um, to learn my daughter to cherish it as well. Like mm -hmm. you know, sameness between people, no matter fill in the blank, no matter what. Um, to you know, be generous, to support, to forgive, to be who you are, to you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So to they taught us loyalty. So you know, those are some some. Um, and my husband, yeah, my husband affected me. I have to single him out. <laughs> I have to single him out. He's a, uh, you know, we we have this um, very uh, trauma informed <laughs> conversations towards each other, you know. Uh, so he is uh, very supporting and and loving and endlessly understanding and accepting, you know, for exactly who I am. So that that affected me greatly, really. Wow, it's uh, it's actually very inspiring to know that there are trauma-informed relationships, not only oh, therapists. Trust, <laughs> trust me, they are. They are. We we navigated each other through our hard times with this trauma-informed approach. Otherwise, I'm not sure what would happen. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, talking about trauma, maybe maybe you want to say how you see trauma and how knowledge about trauma helps you to to lead your life better. Um, what I think about trauma, I think it's very common, mm -hmm. it's more common than we we actually comprehend. Yeah. Uh, I think very important thing about trauma that that needs to be said is that trauma doesn't have to be one big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it can be those really small things that happen and repeat every day at every hour. Uh, so I think when somebody says you're traumatized, they always assume that that's some horrors happen in the person's lives. Uh, I have many clients who have really structured lives, let's, let's say it that way, fulfilled in a sense of partner, in a sense of children, family, finances, choices, but they feel wrecked inside. They don't understand why. Uh, most of the time, the answer is trauma. Mm -hmm. um, what, what Gabor Mate said perfectly, um, he said, trauma is not what happens to you. Uh, trauma is what happened inside of you in the moment that trauma yeah trauma happened yeah so it, it is i think that that we lack understanding of it today um and mm -hmm. that we lack um adaptable approaches towards it yeah i mean i, I would say maybe not i oh, sorry i i interrupted you i i'm just thinking <laughs> help us heal uh, i think it's maybe not understanding as much as it we know a lot but we don't have open conversations um that too 
that too we don't have an open conversations about many things yeah. i mean when, when you say but that's an interesting thing when you say we know a lot i'm guessing you're uh you're talking from perspective of somebody who lives in london but when you you know when you transfer the the exact same question to the society of let's say balkans i would not you know put a just in montenegro I think there is a lot of prejudice towards trauma in, in, in this sense, as, as I said, you know, it has to be one big thing and it has, it doesn't have to be something that has to be treated. It can go away by itself. You know, if you don't look at it, it will go away and, and things like that, that really, um, uh, that really makes it even more difficult than it is to treat. Yeah, it's almost like the difference between the pain and suffering. It's, exactly. <laughs> we go through a lot of unnecessary suffering because we don't really want to, to look at... To, to acknowledge the pain, right. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I definitely resonate with what you say. When I, when I said we have knowledge, I think knowledge as in we know quite a lot about trauma as a psychotherapy community. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, 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 right. But, uh, but uh, yes, I do agree. I mean, even I can talk even from my own experience in my own house when like, when even I said I'm studying psychotherapy, it was like, oh, they're just trying to make us feel like we have something and uh, <laughs> you know, they're <laughs> making us crazy. Exactly, or to put guilt on somebody. So what, you say your mom is guilty or dad is guilty, what then? Oh, it's exactly. not about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's a very, I don't know if many people who are listening to this will understand, but this is a very cultural. <laughs> <laughs> very cultural thing. So excuse us, everybody who's not from Balkans. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and now talking about Balkans, uh, how do you experience yourself in your gender? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, great question. In a great time. <laughs> well, um, I think I'm going to have the most general answer, um, and or, or better to say, most common answer, like a woman in, in Balkans. I'm in, they're in conjunction now. Yeah. Uh, but they were not before, not even close. Um, while I was growing up, I, I over-identified with my father and with that, with his masculine traits. <laughs> Sounding familiar yet? <laughs> you know, so I spent most of my life with this masculine traits and with this masculine energy that I tried to fit into every aspect of my life. And, I, and, and then I wonder why I was depressed, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's impossible it's impossible to do those things together. So, um, as I said, they're in conjunction now, but they weren't before. And how I resolved them? Well, again, um, my husband helped me a lot in a sense of that he's very um, manly. He has very much of that masculine energy, but in a way that provokes my feminine. Mm. Um, I mean, he couldn't have provoked it hadn't I had it um, or hadn't I had the knowledge about it. But, but he did in a sense of that, you know, I don't have to be, I have to do everything kind of woman. Uh, or I have to know everything or, you know. So he helped me actually um, discover it 
uh, even more. But what it, what it helped me embody it completely, uh, that was the birth of my daughter. Uh, just the process of you know being pregnant with a female child that I cherish and I adore, um, it, it just, you know, it, it provokes the feminine energy inside of you if you want to be connected, of course, if you are connected, if you're able to connect. Uh, so with the birth of my daughter, I really got in touch and really embodied the, the feminine inside of me and just, you know, raising a female child as a firstborn child, um, just really, you know, strengthened that, that part of me um, inside of me. And I hope to, you know, to transfer it on to, to her mm. one day. So I'm curious, you, you said uh, you connected to it and you, you embody it. What does it mean for you to embody a feminine energy? I mean, like the way I see you, it's like absolute embodiment. It's like you are just this uh, gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful woman. But what are the like uh, qualities on your skin, if you if you want? To? Well, ha have you if you saw me ten years ago, I I'm not sure you would have the same opinion. This what you see today, it's kind of like a um, that was very very big part of my 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 therapeutical work uh, to just get in touch with my feminine side. Uh, in a sense of dissolving all the unnecessary masculine. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't see anything wrong in masculine traits no. if they are if they are inside of the woman in a sense that does not bother them in their everyday life. But they bothered me. That's why I wasn't wasn't in conjunction. And how I embodied it. Um, I don't know, I behave like a woman more. I, I talk like a woman more. I, you know, I choose that the, I don't know if you knew that driving is not, now I, I'm, you know, I'm on on a, on the edge of being uh, misjudged, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Driving is not a feminine thing, for example. Yeah. And, and um, it provokes much of a masculine energy inside of us that's uh and i was really you know uh, i really wanted to park in reverse for so long such a long time and then i just simply gave up if i can it's okay if i don't you know uh before i would be stuck on it and fixated on it until i get it done and get it done perfectly now i'm just you know like enjoying just calling somebody can you do it for me please thank you yeah 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 and it is that vulnerability uh, and receptivity for help that is very is a very uh, female yeah exactly i think to be receptive is one also of the main female uh trait just to be receptive and to to um analyze it and to be able to give it back yeah 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 exactly yeah. And then uh, in terms of how do you experience yourself as a woman, how do you also experience yourself in your age or in your like in your life uh, stage? Well, not so much as a number, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I experience myself, myself through, um, 
different sequences of life. Um, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter if I'm 21 or 32. I don't feel much different now when I'm 32 than I was when I'm 31 in a sense of age, in a sense of number. I just feel completely different because I live a different season of my life. Uh, so I don't comprehend it as, as um, you know, just age and a number. I kind of like more connected to, connected to um, season, to the sequences of the life and what it brings and what I've learned up until now and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking about the feminine, the masculine, and the next question is about a little bit about how do you see power and privilege in your life and and how did you get into your own personal power Mm. um i think that power is in and of itself it's nothing wrong you know i i grew up in a society that really um they really want really cherished equality, like literal equality. Uh, to the point of even that being destructive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so uh, power was very, you know, frowned upon, if I can say mm-hmm. that way, or very judged or very, um, you know, it was, it was just something that was not desirable. If you are, if you want, if you want power, there must be something wrong with you, yeah. or 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 some, or you're greedy, or some prejudice, something like that. Uh, so, uh, power for me is nothing to, you know, nothing wrong in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with the power in and of itself. Um, if you if i know how you feel by the your facial expressions that's a power if you know how to shape this interview in order for your listeners to gain uh, the most that's a power if you know how to handle finances that's a power so i don't think that's something to be demonized i really think it should be something that that should be cherished the problem with power is how it's used and what's it used for. Uh, so, but in, in my life, I, I really um, came across many situations where power was abused. Uh, so it took me a while to gain this perspective that I'm, that I'm talking about now. Uh, so um, privilege as well. It was it was misused. It was not not to say abused, but it was misused. Uh, let's say it in a milder way. Uh, so um, you know, while I'm saying this, I'm understanding that uh, while I was witnessing those things, I had a p- parallel uh, process inside myself where I rejected my own power. Yeah. Uh, and not being able to, to you know, demonstrate it in an in an applicable way. And when I understood that there is nothing wrong with power, when I understood it myself, and when I stopped judging it, then I started using it, in in my own benefit, and in hopefully in a benefit of many clients now <laughs> and many people in my surrounding. Yeah. So yeah. 
I, I would say, I would say, um, I would say that it, it, the, the perspective needs to be changed in order for, for uh, impact on it in your life to be changed. Yeah, I, I do agree. I, I, I do remember also my, my connection to it. And I always think while you're saying this, I, I think of one of the Gestalt founders sentence, which is that psychotherapy in and of itself is a, is a political act. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. That's debatable. That's debatable, but it's a great sentence. <laughs> well, I want to hear more now. I, I think I would leave it for some other time because we have like only, only this much of a time. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then um, uh, one last question before going a little bit into your psychotherapy journey, which you started a little bit talking about. Uh, how, uh, how do you think about uh, success and as power has very many faces? What is it for you? Uh, well, in general, I think success is a personal definition. Mm -hmm. well, what is successful for me doesn't necessarily mean that it's successful for everybody. Um, but I never, I had many achievements in my life, mm -hmm. but I never considered them to be success. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I felt successful um, regarding internal processes. Mm -hmm. uh, first time I felt successful was first time I felt comfortable in my own skin. Mm. That was success for me. So as I said, I had many achievements that could be considered as a success. The outside achievements in academia and business and, you know, just those external general things. But I did never perceive them as, uh, as that way. Uh, success for me was this, as I said, to feel comfortable in my own skin and every other process where I, um, where I understood why I did things a certain way, how I behaved a certain way, why I said this a certain way, uh, you know, just coming closer to myself. That's, that's what I consider success. Mm. I, I really love that definition. And now I'm thinking this will be the small clip that I'm going to play from. <laughs> okay, okay, great. <laughs> great. Um, and then uh, you already described how, the, how you get into psychotherapy. Uh, what psychotherapeutic modality is you, what you are working with? And well, how would you describe it? And what was attracting for you in that modality? Well, I'm a, I'm a counselor of transactional analysis and, and psychotherapist under supervision. Uh, I fell in love with transactional analysis uh, when I was first introduced with uh, one of the main concepts of transactional analysis, which is uh, that our psyche is constructed out of three main uh, ego states. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a parent, you have a grown-up, and you have a child. And at that time, I did not know much about theory or about concepts or about modality at, you know, in general. But for me, it resonated in a way that I felt like my fragmented personality was explained mm -hmm. by that concept. 
and it really uh, liberated me in a way of um, in a way that I stopped judging myself for for certain traits uh, that I encounter through those ego states. So uh, it really uh, it, it helped me in a, in a way of accepting myself and being uh, able to explain why I did this or why I thought that or uh, why did I sabotage this or why did I, you know, just many different things. So that main concept, I really fell in love with the whole science afterwards. Uh, it, it's really structural approach, transactional analysis. It has really, um, powerful uh, techniques, and they're not like uh, they're not. They're very deep. It had it has many many layers. I mean, it, the the word just says it. Transactional analysis analyzes transactions, and what is transaction? Everything, whether it's non-verbal or verbal. So with those very powerful constructs that they offer, I really fell in love with the module and, you know, I decided to be my baseline. <laughs> and what else supports you? Uh, you have transactional analysis as your baseline. What are the other things that you, that you use to support you in your work? Well, I'm up for anything, you know, that works. <laughs> Whatever works, yes. But for anything that works, that shows the result, I'm there. Um, uh, let's say I'm very passionate about trauma, especially about early developmental trauma. Uh, so uh, compassionate inquiry, for example, that's a, a module and technique that was designed by Gabor Mate. Mm -hmm. It's a one year long course that really puts apart compassion in a way that I did not know that existed. And it's very, and it's very um, usable with clients. So compassionate inquiry definitely uh, works wonders for me. Uh, all trauma-informed approaches, um, wisdom of trauma as well. That's a course also by Gabor Mate that I took last summer. And it, you know, it explained trauma um, to its core. Yeah. Um, also, while you know, educated in transactional analysis, we go through through periods of where we learn Gestalt techniques, when we learn KBT techniques, when we, learn, you know, all different models and, and approaches. So they all come in handy when when needed. Mm -hmm. um, also, somatic experiencing. Somatic experiencing um, affected my work greatly. Right? Affected me in a, in a in a um, in a sense of being improved as a therapist. Um, especially today, you know, many people dissociate from their body um, very easily. We're not taught to actually look into our body or to feel our body. Uh, so body psychotherapy. Is, also, that's the right translation of, yeah, yeah. of right, yeah. So all of those things kind of, you know, I'm not for, for one, one approach. Uh, I'm never for one approach. You, for some, I don't know, clients, transactional analysis can be great, but maybe some other techniques would affect it better. So, so I, I kind of try to, to use them all when they are uh, applicable.
Mm-hmm. I really like that. And actually, that's the reason I'm doing this podcast because I, <laughs> I want to learn from everyone. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, do you feel um, uh, that there is a community for you as a psychotherapist? And do you feel uh, being a part of a community? Let's say that I that that I know that there is a community <laughs> <laughs> on a world level or something like that. But um, you know, I connect with many therapists in an in an um, unofficial way. So in that sense, I know that we exist uh, as a community. But as a formal translation of that community, uh, unfortunately, no. No, I don't feel a part of it formally. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting thing. I always feel like a really great group forms around the training, but then it somehow dissipates. Yeah, yeah. Because so- there is no formal structure that can manage it. Yes. From the management girl, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I often feel like yeah, it would be so cool to gather all these people I interviewed in one place. And then, yeah. And uh, then uh, what was your most challenging time when it comes to psychotherapeutic work, whether as a, as a client or as a therapist? Well, as a client, everything was hard. <laughs> you know, it's a hard process. Uh, at least the one that I went through. Uh, as you said, there was so much unnecessary suffering. Um, so that was the that was the hard part, the the suffering and the pain around it. Uh, but as a as a therapist, I find it most challenging to. Um, it's very important for. Um, I would continue that sentence. I just need an explanation in between. Uh, it's very important for a therapist to be a mirror to, to its clients. And as, as Gabor Mate, I, I said, said his name so many times, as he said, if you want to be a mirror to your client, you better be a clear one. Yeah. So, so, uh, it's very challenging to just keep on going. Um, the, you know, looking inside of yourself for every little thing that can, that can, um, that can empower you in your work, that can clear off maybe some fog that you have around a certain subject. Uh, it's, it's very, for me, it's very hard. Um, I mean, it's tiring, it's not hard, I enjoy it, but you, I am tired after a while of, of therapies. Uh, the parallel process that I need to be aware of. Uh, when I'm sitting across my, my client, I need to know what's going on in my, in my head and I need to be effectively listening. And I need to understand, am I being triggered? Why am I being triggered? I mean, the transparencies and counter-transparencies, I think, are, for me so far, the biggest challenges in the sense of uh, being able to recognize them, to analyze them, to, to, you know, incorporate it then in my own work and work towards my clients. So um, that I found, that I find the most challenging. Mm 
I find it actually like a perfect response because it talks about the responsibility you're taking uh, yeah. in your work with clients. Yeah. And, and I think, I definitely think that this is, is the most difficult part of being a therapist, uh, of yeah. being constantly available to yourself as well. <laughs> Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. Uh, and now, uh, just to counteract this as a polarity, what are, what are your most uh, beautiful moments when it comes to psychotherapy? And It's that look in their eyes when you see that like light bulb went off, when you see that they understood. And not only that they understood, they internalized it and make, make it their own and make it their own in a sense that serves them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that realization in their eyes uh, when, when, they, when they make sense of the things that were not uh, understandable to them before and they felt like um, compelled by them. Mm -hmm. uh, and as well, the energy in the room that happens uh, during those sessions that are like aha moments, um, it's simply, it's priceless. You have to be there <laughs> to understand, you know, you have to be there. That's the, this, that's the sad part for me. It's the ineffable nature of therapy. The, the, the fact that you just cannot explain what, it in words. You cannot put it in you words. You just live it and it passes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I will wrap with just um, uh, rapid fire questions, which uh, should not take much of your time. So one is, uh, what kind of compliments do you like to receive? All of them. <laughs> also, that was my, my uh, part of my personal growth as well. I really discounted any compliment that I received um, ever. So now I'm at the stage uh, that I really accept all of the compliments with the joy and appreciation for it. So yeah, all of them. Just bring them on. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, is there an absurd thing about you that not many people know about? Um, well, yeah, um, I, I'm... Um, I'm disgusted by uh, small dots that are in one place in unperfect order. <laughs> if you could understand. Yeah. This is obsessive compulsive thing, but you know, I, I'm really disgusted by those, those things. So yeah, not many people know this about me. <laughs> yeah, so I, would, I would not have those walls, you know, the walls with the, with the things uh, on them. Oh, yes. Know, I would yes. Have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that they look like you just did this with the brush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, that's no for me. Okay. And uh, the last question is what do you like to do to people most? What I like to, to give to I people. I didn't hear you. To give to people? Most. Yeah. Well, well whatever they need. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm practical in the sense of you, I don't know, if you need a massage or you need a piece of clothing or you need a hug, <laughs> I would not give you just a hug, you know, I'll give you a book, 
with it, let's say. But you know, I would I would give people what they need, whatever that is. But I will be uh, carefully analyzing the need before. <laughs> That's the truth. And uh, checking in with yourself, whether it's what you are willing to give or it can. Exactly. Whether it's within my boundaries. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I really want to thank you for your time, for your honesty and for just being you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.